And when you fast, do not look gloomily like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Um, so I want to talk today about... Um, I've titled it, uh, I like to put a wee title on, I don't know if other people do that, but I uh, call it Recession-Proof Faith, Recession-Proof Faith. Um, I, I, we've, we've, you've probably recognized over the last uh, year or so that there's been some crazy financial uh, goings on in the world around us. Things are a bit different than they were, things are a bit more difficult. Um, I, know, I know they've come back down a wee bit, but petrol prices in the summer got up to about 180 or something like that, wasn't it? It was, it was pretty nuts. I told my wife next time she asked me to take her somewhere expensive, we'd go to BP. That'll be the plan, get to the garage there, fill the car up. Um, and and things, things are, I feel like I'm sort of one of those prematurely old people, you know, sort of, you know, I remember my granny saying, you know, back in my day, you go to the shops at 50p, you know, you come back with a three-bed semi or whatever. And, you know, I kind of feel like, I, you know, I remember when Freddo's were 10p each, you know, I remember, and they were bigger than they are now. It's just outrageous. Um, but there's, there's so much of that. Now, I'm make, making some jokes, but there, there are some genuinely financially uh, challenging times that we're going through um, and, and are likely to go through, to be honest, in, in times ahead. Um, don't, I, I don't want to stand up here and give a, a political speech by any means. That would be, that would be wise. But, but, you know, obviously we live in a, in a political context and we live in a world where, where the economy genuinely affects how we live and how we act and, and there are real challenges there. And, and some, some of it um, unavoidable, some of it probably some, some bad decisions, and some of it may be, you know, engineered as well. You know, I think it's, it's not unrealistic as Christians when we read how... how uh, as believers um, have been treated throughout the ages, um, that that sometimes there are genuine moments where it, pay, it there's a, a financial cost to to being a believer. That is that is a real thing, uh, and sometimes we sort of poo-poo that and go, oh well, that that couldn't happen here. But no, it very much, very much could. Um, and I don't like to, I, I, I'm not a good forecaster of the economy, that would be unrealistic, you know, but it's one of those things you go, well, I could see how that could happen. I see how that could increase. I see how we could live in a world, and we do live in a world where, where there could be an increased um, financial economic cost 
to being a believer. I, th- I think we see little bits of it, even in, in isolated pockets. You see businesses that stand up for, for a Christian worldview and say, hey, look, we're, you know, we respect you, but you know, we're not going to go that direction ourselves, or attempts to cancel them and take them to court. You see, you see people losing their jobs for you know, wearing a, a cross or, 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 or standing up for, for a Christian ethic, you know, those kind of things. Those are, those are real things that happen, and there can be a cost that, we, that we'll often have to pay in that regard as as believers there, there just is um you know we, we you might not get the job if you're a christian or you might not get the promotion or you know th- there, there's there's a lot of different ways that this can work out and, and i think a lot of the time we, we fancy ourselves and go oh well do you know what i you know i i follow i follow my faith but there's a real temptation to follow your finances it's just a real thing in life that you know you will often decide to do things that will make your life financially easier. Sometimes it's easier not to say something or not to stand up or to go along to get along. And as Christians, we're going to be at various points and various times in life and potentially, not saying for definite, because again, not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but there's a potential scenario in which that cost of being a believer and being a faithful believer in our time is increased. And so we've got a couple of options. We can, number one, you know, pretend it's not happening, pretend that that's, you know, just bury our heads in the sand and hope that it's okay. Or we could, you know, go, to, go the compromise route <clears throat> and say, well, do what you need to do. You know, you can have your faith, but don't, you just don't need to apply it in any other context. Or, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> or we could get ready. You know, we could go, right, well, what does the Bible say, say to, the, to this? So, so that's really, that, the third option, by the way, is the correct one. We should get ready, you know. Um, so, so I think this passage really speaks to that potential scenario. Uh, and if we read, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> I'll sort this out. Um, <clears throat> uh, if we read verse 19 once again, sorry, I normally have water, and I just forgot it today, so my bad. Uh, you are stuck with it now. Um, verse 19, what does it say here? It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moss and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. So the first thing we're told is don't store up treasure on earth, right? This is pretty, this is, uh, I'm not going to do any big gymnastics here. I'm just going to walk us through this. One of the things that we need, thank you so much, that's so heavy. Um, one of the big things that we need to do as believers in, in times like this <clears throat> is we need to, I, I would put it in this way, we need to decatastrophize de- being financially worse off. We, we just need to go, uh, okay, like if there's a financial cost, we actually need to be okay with that. We need to recognize that there is something more. Um, A lot of the time, particularly in our context, um, the big challenge of uh, of poverty or the big challenge of being worse off is is, it's rarely that you're going to starve. It just it's unlikely to be the case. that, that you know, if you've been through financially hard times, it's rarely that you're not able to feed yourself here in the West in the 21st century. And in most places, uh, and certainly in a Western society in today's world, that's unlikely to be the, ca- the case. It's not that you c- don't have any shelter, you don't have any clothes, right? Like that's, that doesn't happen that much. But it tends to be that, well, you've got to lower the quality, you've got to lower the standard. You know, you don't have the, the on-brand trainer. You don't have the Nikes, right? You've got the, the off-brand ones. Or, you know, you don't go out to the fancy meals you have the pizza at home, right? You don't get the Arsenal shirt. You get the Man United shirt. You know, these kind of things. These, these very low quality things that we're subjected to. Um, <clears throat> and that's a big part of the difficulty of poverty, actually, or the, the difficulty when it comes to finance is, is not often the case that, that 
that it's so bad that you're not be able to feed yourself. It's that you're often thinking, well, you know, I, I know people that have it better. I've had it better. You know, it's, it's very hard to go down. It's very easy to go up in your quality of life. It's very hard to downgrade. It's just very, very difficult. Um, and, and, and I think particularly for men, that can be a challenge, actually, because you feel this need to, to provide. I know it's Mother's Day, but word to the men. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's a real thing. You, feel, you can feel like you're failing and falling short. And, and biblically, you're not. Biblically, you know, you're, you're supposed to provide, and, and that's correct. You know, you don't need to give your family a life of absolute luxury. You know, a, a trip to Dubai is not part of your responsibility um, as, 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 as a as the head of the household, as a man, um, uh, you know, uh, who, who has a family. Um, and, and, and so they're, they're, a lot of the time that's, that's where the challenge lies, is we think, oh, well, getting worse off is so bad. Like, we couldn't possibly fathom having to sell the house and move to a small house. We couldn't move to that area. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't have this car for another decade. That's, that's, that's the real scenario that we're in. Um, and, and, and the clear message of this text, it's very, very simple. It's that material wealth is just not that important. It just isn't all that important. It's not that it's not necessary to have stuff, but you're not supposed to derive your joy and your happiness from your stuff. And we do live in a world, and I know we've kind of I don't know, people call it post-capitalist and all of this stuff, and people are pretending like they don't want money anymore. Everybody wants money, okay? Or at least, at the very least, they want the stuff that money can give them, the experiences and the, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, that, that we still live in a financial world, and that's always going to be there. But we need to, as Christians, recognize that actually that is not the most important thing. It's very interesting here. This is, uh, we're obviously in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're about halfway through it, roughly, at this point, in the middle of, well, middle to the end of, of, of Matthew 6. So it goes from Matthew 5 to 7. And um, the Sermon on the Mount is very interesting because a lot of it is talking about the, the kingdom of God breaking into the world around us. It has a very um, here and now focus, a lot of it, which is very right, the kingdom of God applies very much in the here and now. But I think right at the middle, uh, what, what Jesus is doing at this point in, in the very center of it is saying, we're talking about all of this stuff and, and applying it to the here and now, but, but let's not forget, let's remember that the very core of the Christian life is not about living for the here and now. Okay, it's good to impact the here and now. You have responsibilities in the here and now. What you do in the here and now matters in eternity. But your, your focus, your end goal, your purpose, your passion, all of those things is to be driven by something bigger than the present. It's to be driven by something bigger. It is, you, look, you can prioritize this life or you can prioritize the life to come. You can't do both at the same time. Mutually exclusive. You need to do stuff in the here and now. We live in a physical world. You have responsibilities here and now. But they are to be oriented towards something more, something bigger uh, th than the here and now. And one of the marks of the true church throughout the ages has always been that they've prioritized heaven over earth. They have just valued that more. And I think we need to remember oftentimes in the church that that is where we're to place our honor. That's where we're to place our desire. That's where we're to place our focus on the kingdom to come, on what is coming up. Um, and, uh, and so Jesus' argument here, I think it's an interesting one, what he says here. What he says is, is, don't store up treasure on earth. And he doesn't say, because it's not fun, you know, or it's, you, you couldn't get anything out of having some treasure on earth, or it's not useful, or it's not helpful. 
That's actually not what he says. What he says is it's insecure. What, is, what does he say about treasure on earth? Well, it, it, it can be stolen, it can be eaten, it can be devoured. He talks about moths and uh, t- depending on your translation, it could be rust. So, some think it could be mold, actually, or, or vermin, or, or thieves. Uh, in, in the ancient world, at the time of Jesus, um, they, they kind of were, there were three sort of main ways of storing wealth. Um, it, it was uh, clothing would, would have been an expensive way, uh, an expensive item. When you hear about clothing in Scripture, it's a bigger deal. Joseph's coat of many colors, you know, not just going down to super dry and getting a new jacket. It was more than that. It was a, it was a thing of wealth. Um, so that was one way. Another way was sort of grain, um, you know, storing, storing food, obviously. Uh, the wealthy man in, in Jesus, uh, one of Jesus' later parables, you know, builds barns for his great wealth, his grain. Um, and then the last one was, was precious metals, gold. So garments, green, and gold. And, uh, and it's interesting, I, I think Jesus here, and, and a lot of scholars believe this, he's sort of targeting each of those. He talks about moths, that would, do, that would eat up your garments. Uh, vermin or, or, or mold, that would eat up your green. And, and thieves, uh, which would, who would take your, your gold. And uh, so Jesus, and what Jesus is saying here is, is, is actually not a spiritual argument. He's not saying don't, don't store up treasure on earth because that's, that's a low way to live. That's, a, that's, a, that's a, an unspiritual way to live and, and that's immoral or anything. Uh, although I, th- I think we, we could see that, that it is. But actually his argument is a common sense argument. Oh, if you store it up here, you can very, very easily, very, very quickly lose it. Very, very quickly lose it. It is not a secure place to store your wealth. It is not a secure place to, to invest in. Um, I, I, there's been uh, multiple banks, I mean, I'm preparing this message, multiple banks went into failure around the world this last week, okay? Terrible for all of them. Quite helpful for my message, okay? So to the people at Credit Suisse, thank you very much. Uh, you know, um, but, 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 but that's what Jesus is saying here. Is it's not just unholy to store wealth here. It's actually foolish. You're not just being a sinner, you're also being an Egypt, okay, in the, in the, the, the Jamie Bambrick version of the text. Everything is against you if you want to do that. Nature is against you. Like the forces of nature can wipe out your wealth immediately. They, they just can. You know, a tornado, you can build your nice house, tornado rips through, not that we get a lot of tornadoes here, flood, whatever, a fire breaks out, gone, gone. You know, not, not a secure place. You've got the forces of the economy, interest rates and uh, COVID-19, all of these things. They can wipe out your wealth very, very, very quickly. Nature's against you. People are against you. You know, there will be people who, who seek to take that, whether it's they think they're doing something just or they know fine rightly what they're doing. You know, you, you can, you know, we're going to take a bigger chunk of that pie or, or someone breaks in and takes that or, you know, identity theft, all of these things, these real ways that you can actually lose your, your wealth. There's just lots of stuff against you. You know, you're, you're, I mean, I don't know how many people here about 20 years ago spent way too much money on baggy jeans, okay? I did. I was a teenager, okay? They were all the rage. Then, about five years later, they're immediately out of fashion. You know, I wish I'd held on to them because they're back in. Now is a good plan. But you know, these are the sort of trends. And you invest your value in different areas. <clears throat> and you realize that it can be wiped out incredibly quickly. It, it, it can go immediately. And ultimately, I think also, uh, even if you manage to keep it, the, the satisfaction of getting it doesn't really stay. You know, like once you've bought the big house that you worked your whole life to, to afford, 
I mean, after a while, it just is four walls that you live in between. You know, it's not really that much better. The car that you spend all your money and time working towards, still just a way to get to A and B. There's not much more to it. It doesn't really satisfy. So, so that is, is, is also a way in which we lose the stuff. We think it's going to do more than it is. And, and, and I am not against, and I think it's wrong to be against, you know, anybody owning good stuff. No, no, no. The Bible says there's no problem with people enjoying the gifts and the blessings that God gives them and trusting God for good things. Absolutely. But we've got to remember, they're great gifts. They're terrible gods. They're a terrible thing to idolize. And if you try and idolize them, you will not keep them. So Jesus' point is that stuff is a really bad way to store treasure. Um, and, and, and the reason for that is it is insecure and it is short-term thinking. Short-term thinking. Uh, I remember being about nine years old and the craze in the playground at Strandtown was uh, Pokemon cards. Uh, everybody went, you know, you've got to, got to catch them all, right? Yeah, uh, which for the parents meant got to buy them all. Uh, and they made good money off that. You've got to get a Charizard. And uh, I, I remember, you know, the cool kids in the playground were the ones that had black astroturfs and a big wad of Pokemon cards in their pocket. Um, and and do, do you know what? When you're nine years old, that's fine. Like, you know, realistically, it's okay for nine-year-olds because there's no nine-year-olds in the room. They've all left, Okay. Nine-year-olds aren't that smart, okay? It's acceptable. If a nine-year-old goes, oh, I'm so excited about my collection of Pokemon cards, which are really only going to be useful for six months, maybe a year, until this trend passes, um, that, that's okay. They're nine, right? But if you're 30 years old and you go, hey, do you want to see my collection of Pokemon cards? You know, you're, you're well, it's a bit creepy, actually, but you know, you're, you're, you're immature, right? You know, you are. You're, 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 it's, it's so fleeting. It's so short-term. It's such a stupid way to store wealth. But, but think about that. I mean, a couple of years compared to, you know, 80 years, and we recognize, oh, well, that's very, very short-term thinking. But how much more is our little tiny lifespan and all of eternity? You know, like, like storing your wealth here, valuing stuff here beyond eternity, but, you know, to, to a level where that takes your attention, takes your focus, is far more immature than being a 30-year-old and, and thinking about how great your Pokemon cards still are. It's, it, it is immature because it is short-term thinking. It does not actually last. That's what Jesus is kind of saying here is that, that this stuff is, is insecure and it is short-term. And at the end of your life, we will all die, okay? Like that, that is going to happen. There's not going to be a big trailer that gets attached to the hearse to bring you up to Roselawn with all of your stuff in it. That's, it's not coming with you. That's short-term foolish thinking. So we don't store up treasure on earth. Big point, okay? Very simple. I know I said it's simple. This is not rocket science. We're not focused on, on treasure on earth. But I think what's really interesting, what I really love about this passage is this next bit. Jesus does tell us to store up treasure. He does, right? Read it again. What does he say? Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. In heaven, where all of these things, moths and, uh, and vermin, do not destroy thieves, do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Jesus commands, ah, this is so, I think it's wonderful. Jesus commands the church to go for treasure. Just the right treasure in the right place. Jesus is absolutely for us having the eternal riches of glory. It's almost like he's saying it's not about being totally disinterested in yourself, right? He's saying that the, 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 
He wants us to store wealth, but he wants us to do it in the most secure way possible. He's a very good investment advisor, this Jesus. You know, that's, that's what he's doing. He's saying, that, that's a bad investment. Here and now, no, no, no. But here, if you really want to get something that lasts, you really want to get something valuable, you go for it in the life to come. Store it in the place where it cannot be touched. Store it in a secure place. And when we go after earthly treasure, we make our lives all about that. To be honest, it's not because we're too focused on what's best for us. It's because we have no idea what's best for us. We don't actually know where our true interests lie. Jesus is not saying don't have a treasury. He's saying have the right treasury. He's not saying don't have treasure. Have the right treasure. Everybody in this life, you will value stuff. You are, he's not saying don't have any values. He's not calling us to stoicism and to just be detached from all of our self-interest and, oh, don't worry about anything. Just be passive and apathetic towards everything. He's saying, no, value the right things. You will value stuff. What things are you going to value? Where are you going to place that value? And the Christian life is to be lived in pursuit of treasure. He is not against us having the best stuff. He wants us to have the best stuff. It, it's, it's, it's not that, that, that possessions are evil. He's not, not saying that here. But what he is saying here is that there is so much more. Uh, you, you, you're to go after what is truly, truly, truly good for you. Now, some of you are probably asking at this point, um, Perhaps, you know, well, are you saying it's sort of okay to be selfish so long as you priority? You're talking about, you know, pursuing your own self-interests. It's okay to be selfish so long as it's a spiritual sort of selfishness. Uh, is, is, is that all right? Um, good question, right? Okay, glad you asked. It's exactly where I am in my notes. So that's really helpful. I'm glad you asked that at this point. Uh, let, me, let me tell you a story that kind of will, will hopefully help pull, pull this together. Um, what, what am I... F- favorite moments in life uh, was, was bringing home our, our newborn baby to meet our, his older brother. Um, Jack uh, was just about to turn four at this point, um, and he had been praying for a baby brother from, for a long time, long before we were uh, pregnant and, and all of that. I, I said earlier, we, be, we being pregnant is a very, I was very, not very much pregnant throughout any of this, okay, I did very little of the work. Um, but, uh, but he was absolutely buzzing. Um, we, we got home from the hospital quite late at night. He would been in a couple of days, uh, just, you know, a, a standard, you know, uh, stay over and check everything's okay. And he hadn't been allowed in, so he got to stay up late with his grandparents. And we sort of saw him. We were driving back to the house, and he's standing there at the window, you know, jumping up and down and runs out in his, you know, Paddington dressing gown, his Paw Patrol slippers. And we got him a present from the baby, no interest in the present, just excited to have the baby brother. And we, we had this nice letter and all written from Caden, the, the newborn, to, to Jack to kind of, you know, because I didn't know how he was going to take us. We wanted to, you know, start it off right. And, you know, even though I can't say it already, you know, I, you know, I can't say it, but I love you so much already. I'm so excited. You're my big brother, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and my mom, actually, my mom was, was there, and, and she was trying to prompt Jack to say, oh, you know, I love you too. So she goes, Jack, do you have anything to say back to Caden? And he goes, I love my drums. I was like, oh, right, good effort. Okay, you tried. You tried. But he was very, very excited. It was one of those moments where, where uh, on a personal level, it gave me incredible joy. Uh, it's sort of uh, one of those moments. I, I'm going to remember that for, for the rest of my life. Just will we'll stick in my head. Uh, real joy. Uh, at the same time, right, uh, raising kids is something God wants me to do and also something that is good for kids. Like, it's good for my sons that I'm their dad. You know, like, those are, that's a good thing, right? And yet, it also gives me joy. 
And so when it comes to, well, well, are you saying about, you know, well, being selfish or self-interested? Well, let, me ask, let me ask a question back. Do you think God is wise? Do you, do you think God is wise? Do you think that there's, it's possible that he has set up things in such a way that you can do what is obedience to him, right by God, the best thing for the people around you, and which will give you the most joy in the long run? I, I, I am certain that that is how God has set up his world to work. I am certain that that is what he has called his people to do. So, so it's not a trade-off, right? It's not about, oh, I've got to go and get my spiritual treasure. It's like, no, no, when you're being obedient to God, you're gaining that. When you're serving other people, you're gaining that. And at the same time, if you're saying, well, I'm going to do what brings me the most joy in eternity, those are the things that you're going to end up doing. It's this wonderful sort of symphony and bringing together of God's glory and the good of others and the good of ourselves. That is how God has called us to be. It's the exact same thing. And this is true even when it comes to, so a great example of this is Jesus, right? Did Jesus die on the cross for the glory of God or for our good or ultimately for his own joy? Actually, all three. All at the same time. Obviously, Jesus, he and the Father are one, but, you know, in his, in his humanity. What, what are we told? That Jesus endured the cross, Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him. He was pursuing an eternal joy. He was pursuing an eternal treasure. And at the same time, it was the thing that God got glory. The Father was glorified. It was the Father's will to bruise him, right? And at the same time, it's also the thing that saves us. It's also the thing that rescues us from our sin and brings us into right standing with him. All of it comes together in Jesus. It's wonderful. So the pursuit of treasure in, in heaven is not a selfish pursuit, but yet it is our best interest at heart. It's, a, it's, it's the same thing because God is able to set it up in that way that these things come together. I don't know if you've encountered... Uh, I'm sure you are. If you're a Christian, you have in some way encountered the presence of God. Um, I remember sort of what I would call my moment of salvation. I grew up in a Christian context. And like most people who grew up in a Christian context, teenage years were ropey. Um, and I went through that time of, of I, you know, just being a mopey teenager, to be honest. You know, I was just low in life and, you know, all of that stuff. I remember um, being in a, a worship um, not a worship event, it was a time of worship uh, in a uh, summer madness down, down in uh, King's Hall at that time, and thousands of young people. And I saw my friend sort of lift his hand and oh, I think there's something real there. And I was hungry for that and sheepishly put a hand up. And, and the thing that really transformed me in that moment, I, I felt the presence of God like never before, but what came with it was joy. We came with it was joy that was beyond a natural joy. It was a supernatural joy. It was an eternal joy. And I, and I, I think back on that moment. I've had moments like that since. I, I, don't, I wouldn't say that I walk around and every moment of my life is like that, right? Um, but, but there are moments in the presence of God where that joy comes back and is recalibrated. And I remember that. And I've seen moments where, where I would say I've experienced more of God than that. But, but I could say this. I could I could you know, been in that place in my life, and if I'd won the lottery and become famous and, you know, had ever, all my needs taken care of and, you know, been starting center midfield for, for Arsenal and all of the stuff that I wanted in life, um, it would not compare with the joy of the presence of God. 
It just, just wouldn't do it. It wouldn't be the same thing. We, we're called to live in pursuit of that joy in God. We're called to live in pursuit of that eternal treasure. We get glimpses of it in this life, but ultimately it is in glory. It is in that next life. So, so, so when Jesus is telling us to do this, when he's saying to us, you know, don't store up treasure on earth, store up treasure in heaven, he's not saying settle for less. This is not, it's not, not his message here. He's not saying... You just get the crumbs and the world gets all the good stuff, but you do it because it's the right thing to do. No, he's saying, no, no, the world is the one with the crumbs. You know, the, the, the greatest hedonists out there doing all of the stuff that they think they want to do, even if it's momentary happiness, and I'm sure there, like, there's no doubt there's momentary happiness in, in, in the pleasures of this world. It is, that's a real thing, right? But, but that's, that's like B-team, low-level hedonism. John Piper talks about this concept of Christian hedonism. I, I broadly like it. I think it's a good, rough idea, anyway, of um, pursuing maximum joy in God. That that's really what we're doing. Man's chief end, as the Presbyterians put it, God bless them, uh, you know, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So that's our goal. That's what we're going after. Let me, let me ask one more question here. So, so what is this eternal treasure? What are we talking about when we say we'll store up treasure in heaven? What do we mean? Uh, I, I believe it's this. It's the amount of joy found in God uh, that we will experience really in eternity. And again, we get glimpses of it in this life, but that we'll experience there. Um, so, so whether or not, <clears throat> I want to unpack this just a wee bit, because I think this is an interesting concept. Um, whether or not you spend eternity with Jesus depends on whether or not you believe, you know, you trust in him for salvation, right? That's, that's the core. Um, but how you spend that eternity with Jesus is in great measure influenced by what you do as a believer, right? So, so we don't get in by works, right? But your works are not pointless. They're, they're meaningful and there's rewards for works. And the Bible is very, very clear about this. Um, and there's two things that the Bible says about eternity. Firstly, it says, well, every tear is going to be wiped away, and there's, there's full, in your right hand there is fullness of joy. So everyone's as happy as they can possibly be. And yet at the same time, there's, um, you know, some get wood, hay, and stubble, and some get gold, silver, and, and, and precious jewels. Uh, uh, you know, some, some people are rewarded with ten cities, some five. And you get to see these different rewards, and yet fullness of joy. And, and how does that work? Um, how, how do we reconcile those two ideas of, well, you're as happy as you can be, but you might have less than someone else? Because you kind of think, well, if I see someone else with more, you know, there's going to be a wee bit of envy there. You know, it's like, well, how did you, how did you get that? How can we be as happy or, or that they've got more happiness than us? Uh, I'll, I'll pull an idea here now. I, I'm going to be honest. It's an idea from Jonathan Edwards, but I didn't get it from Jonathan Edwards. I got it from someone speaking about Jonathan Edwards. Okay, so I haven't done all the primary source work on this. Okay, just in case you think I spend all my days reading heady theology from the 1700s. Uh, I, I do not. Okay, I, I enjoy some Jonathan Edwards, but he, he writes some stuff that's way over my head. But, but he takes this concept and talks about uh, in Luke 6 where it says, Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgiven you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And, and so there's this concept here and, and sort of the way he unpacks it according to this other person that I read about it, uh, is that basically everybody gets overflowingly full with the joy of God. Everybody gets overflowingly full. But it's like the size of your cup that you bring with, with your obedience 
is what gets filled. The measure you use, that's how it's measured back to you. And I know that that verse is not exactly talking about that, but we see that kind of principle there. So, 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 so you can go into heaven, you can go into glory with an immense capacity to receive joy from God. And he's going to take that, fill it up, and it'll overflow. You're going to be so joyful. Or you can do that with, with a lesser measure. You can do that if you're living an obedient, a, a, a less obedient life, doing less of what God has called you to do. And Jesus says, right, well, well, you're going to get as much joy as you can handle, so make sure you can handle loads. You know, let's go into glory, ready to get as much joy as we can with this massive capacity for joy in God. So, so I think that's what Jesus Sorry, that's a slight aside, but I like that idea. I just think it encourages me as to what this is really about, how we experience God. Now, what does that mean? I don't know, because I, I don't live in heaven, okay? Um, so I don't know exactly how that works out in practice. But nonetheless, I, that's, that's what I think this is, this is talking about, going after that, increasing our capacity to enjoy God forever. Here's the, here's the great thing about this treasure. Very, very simple. What's Jesus' point here? He says, uh, moths, moths and vermin do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. The wonderful thing about this, very, very simple, it can't be lost. It is unlosable, to make up my own word. Uh, it's secure, right? It is, it is a treasure that is held for you. And, and, and that, that is where the real core encouragement, I think, of this text comes. Because um, if you've walked with God for any length of time, uh, you can be in full obedience to God and things can end very badly. You know, it can, it can be uh, brutally uncomfortable at times and for many people in other parts of the world, it's much worse than it could be for us. But for, for many of us, we, we're going to experience real genuine challenges in our walk with God. There will be things, and, and sometimes, we, you know, if you go to the the, the Christian movie sphere, everything all works out in the end and, you know, the, the sun comes out and, you know, they, they don't actually kiss but it looks like they're about to kiss but they're Christian actors so they wouldn't do that on screen, you know, unless they're married or whatever. You know, you get that kind of, oh, it's all going to tie together nicely because they all did the right thing and, hey, praise God. Uh, and sometimes, yeah, like, of course, and we should pray, of course we should pray for God's best, Right? But, but in reality, you look at what actually happened with, you know, Jesus and all of his followers, uh, you know, they didn't end up having the great mega ministry in the big nice church and everybody saying how great they were. Um, you know, they, they, had, they had fruit, like real fruit, you know, they did. But, but that wasn't the ending of the story. That was sort of halfway through the story. The ending was, you know, well, you look at Paul and he's been a long time in prison and friends abandon him and then he joyfully gets executed for his faith. And that's how it ended, right? You, you can obey God, you can lose everything. And yet, and yet, if your treasure is in heaven, you can look at that and say, well, actually, when it comes down to it, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, I've lost everything, but I've lost nothing. I've lost absolutely nothing. I have maybe lost my Pokemon cards, but I'm still a billionaire, you know, like that's, that's, the, that's the, the mindset here. God is holding that treasure for you. You are not clinging on to it for dear life. And no one else can take it from you, right? It's in his eternal bank. He's not going into administration anytime soon. He's not going out of business. There will be no government policy that devalues your currency. There will not be a rise in whatever interest rates or lowering an interest. I don't understand how banks work, but you know what I mean. There will be, you know, no, no, no thieves are going to break in and steal it. 
No natural forces are going to wipe that out. Inflation is not going to impact it. It is held by God for you to enjoy with him forever. That, that is what uh, is the wonderful thing about this. Eternal, secure joy. He wants you to get all you can. And, and I think this is, I'll close to this final point. Um, I, I think this is going to be a key thing in the church in the West as we go into times when the culture seems to turn against the church. And don't overblow that, but certainly a real thing that seems to be happening. Um, and, and we don't know where that'll go long term. It might have a turnaround. Who knows, right? And believe God for a revival. Amen, right? But, you know, there's, there's still a, a chance that we're going to go through some hard times. You know, we could b- believe God for a revival that lands in a century. Fantastic. You know, we've still got a good hundred years. Or, you know, I'm just giving that as a, uh, you know, we could still have hard times. Being able to do this um, empowers us to do stuff in the here and now as well. Some people worry, oh, you could get so heavenly-minded, you're of no earthly good, right? People talk about that. Um, I remember hearing a story from a guy called John Bevere, who's a well-known Bible teacher. And uh, he said he got invited out to a place called Goiania in Brazil. I've not heard of it. Um, but but he, he got invited there to speak to the pastors and leaders of a, a church network. And so he says he you know, gets off the plane, and they bring him to an arena to speak to the pastors and leaders, and there are 12,500 pastors and leaders in this movement. And uh, he said, you know, it's just on fire, incredible meetings. You know, if you couldn't preach there, you'd need to get out of ministry. It was just so electric, right? And uh, so afterwards, he's, he's a quick chat with, you know, the eight sort of key leaders in running this, this kind of movement. I said, well, how many people attend your churches? You know, oh, 300,000 or so. Okay, well, uh, and, and he said, well, and how did it get started? And he said, oh, we had, you know, about, about uh, one family around a, a living room 16 years ago. And he goes, okay, well, <laughs> that's, that's some pretty powerful uh, fruit. So he goes, well, what, what do you think you're doing that's different? And I don't want to misapply this and say this is universal, but he sort of expected them to, you know, give some, you know, vague platitudes, or, yeah, it's just been the favor of God. But they all went, one guy unanimous, or, but they all unanimously agreed with him, but one guy goes immediately said, we teach our people about eternal rewards and judgments. He said, in the West, your Christianity is, is very short-term focused. You have an 80 to, you know, 60 to 80 year timeline, whatever, that's, that's, that's a lot of your tendency to focus on that. Uh, and we don't, we, we, we want to live with an eternal impact here. We want to, to go after that. Um, I have a C.S. Lewis quote. It's not in the Bible, but I just have my note for it here. But C.S. Lewis said this about this. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most, the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. I think that is that this eternal treasure idea, this eternal reward idea is going to be essential because it might be the case that being a Christian actually has no temporary, no earthly reward. It might bring something in an earthly perspective that is much more difficult to handle. But if we are able to go after the eternal, that is when we're actually going to see an impact. I, I, I'm astounded to see, you know, uh, the, the growth of the church in certain places around the world. The, the national church in terms of the country with the fastest growing number of Christians in it. Uh, currently, at least last I checked, was Iran. It's not exactly a, 
a sort of warm and welcoming environment for the gospel. It is hostile, and yet it is Christians there who are seeing the church expand at a phenomenal rate. And I think in the West, you know, we, we, we tend to think that success is, is sort of, even if we spiritualize it, we think it's celebrity Christianity and it's the big church and, you know, you get, get it all lined up and all sorted and everybody knows who you are on Instagram and, you know, all of that. And again, I, I have no, I think it's great that we live in a, a world where, you know, uh, preaching the gospel, where it is done well, can actually have that reach and influence. But, but, but celebrity Christianity is not growing the church in Iran. Okay, it's eternity Christianity. It's going after the long haul. Or to say, to give one last quote, C.T. Studd, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That is what we need to go after in our day. It is best for us in this world to some extent in terms of it's where we see fruit, but ultimately it is because it is working for us a reward in glory forever that we can never lose. Amen? Amen. Let me, uh, should I pray? Yeah, 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 great. I'll pray for us. Uh, Lord, thank you for your goodness and your wisdom, uh, and Lord, that we can um, pursue you with a whole heart, knowing that uh, you're a good father and you actually um, are, are doing what is best for us as we go after you. Um, Lord, I pray for um, us to, to walk in faithfulness all of the days of our lives. Lord, that we would live with that eternal perspective. I pray you'd raise our eyes to see eternally. I pray that you would give us um, a focus on the things to come um, that we can't generate in ourselves, Lord, but which you can give to us. And we would live accordingly, God. Help us to recognize where uh, our treasure really is and to pursue that all of the days of our lives. In Jesus' name.